Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I've got a question. If you could add anyone to Mount Rushmore, who would it be? Oh, this is a tricky it's one. It's a big one. It's a, it's a big tricky one. Question. Like it's, it's, a, it's a big commitment. It like is. You're voting someone up there. So it's set in stone. It's, it's literally set in stone. Literally. <laughs> um, so I, I guess I've got like my gut level Clayton answer, and then I've got the like I thought it through, and if, if I was going to answer seriously. So my, my uh, instinct is to be like Gandalf. Gandalf. Just put Gandalf on the mountain. Not Samwise? Oh, gosh. No, so then then it's like, okay, if you're going to be like, we're going to put a Lord of the Rings character up there, then then you could have a whole lot of debates. But uh. it's hard to argue that, that Gandalf wouldn't be a good one. So that's that's what I'm going to go with. Um, but the, the actual genuine seriousness. So if, like, Mount Rushmore is, like, American heroes, right? Like, there's presidents right now, but I don't, don't want to pick a president and get political. I feel like, okay, like, I feel like MLK, like Martin Luther King, would be a good option. Uh, widely, widely respected and revered, um, and I also think one of the great things about Martin Luther King is it's the one person that we as a country celebrate for being a Christian pastor. Like he was a pastor doing things because of his faith, and we say let's celebrate that. So I figure like if you've got one national hero that you're like we celebrate you as a pastor for being a pastor, let's put him on the on the mountain. Okay. So that's that's my serious option. But when it comes down to it, I I'd probably put Gandalf. <laughs> okay, Eric. Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandalf. Oh, Gandalf, right. right. SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Have you ever been to Mount Rushmore? I have not. Yeah. Have you? I find it underwhelming and Absolutely. uninspiring. So, so the whole notion of carving people's faces into a rock face just seems like silliness to me. So just make it silly. SpongeBob SquarePants. I think it'd be fantastic if we had four American presidents and, a cartoon and then SpongeBob. So that anyone that visits this great country of ours can go to Mount Rushmore and wonder what the heck we are doing in the United States of America. I love how drastically different our answers are going to be. So I was reading this and I thought to myself, well, obviously Jesus. Um, and then I was like, or Taylor Swift. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> wait, wait, what? Which depiction of Jesus would you put in Mount Rushmore? I don't like know. an actual historically accurate Middle Eastern man or the tragically white version that we like often see of Swedish Jesus? Jesus? <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a good one. I leave it for the artist to to, to pick. Well, but, but then but then you you opted for Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. Yeah, T- I don't know why. Instantaneously, Jesus and Taylor Swift popped into, into my mind. I don't know why. T Swift next to T Roosevelt. <laughs> there and you there go. We go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> All right, Clayton, what passage are we looking at today? I have no idea what sort of listener response we're going to get to that one. <laughs> None. So, no, we do no. not want any listener feedback <laughs> on this conversation. I don't need to know who you put on the mountain. Okay, we are in a new book of the Bible. We are in Hebrews. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 today. Uh, let me give you a little context. But before I jump into the the biblical context, let me give you the context of how we do things on the podcast. In case you're new to listening, uh, we kind of go uh, you know, into the flow of things pretty naturally most of the time. Uh, but to talk about what we're doing, we go through a method that we call the comma method. So it's C-O-M-M-A. And these are five simple steps as you're reading a passage that really help you 
you know, get into the passage, get something out of it, and find something that can apply to your life. And if you do this well, you kind of get used to the rhythm. It really helps you with your Bible reading. That's what we're doing here on the podcast, trying to model that. So the first thing that we do, the C stands for context. And context is when you look at all the things around the passage. You're not looking at the actual words yet. You're just saying, what's going on around this? So when you are starting a new book of the Bible, the best way to get that kind of around the passage context is to either go to a study Bible and read the introduction, or uh, we like this even better, go watch one of the Bible Project videos. So the Bible Project video on Hebrews will give you an overview of all the things that are going on, and that's really helpful with Hebrews because it's not a... uh, uh, a simple on the surface kind of book. It helps get the big picture first. Uh, but then you jump into the specific things after having done that. Assuming that you have not done those things yet, let me give you just a little bit of that context, okay? Uh, the author of Hebrews is unknown. We have no idea who wrote this. Uh, someone in the early church, someone who is respected enough that this got circulated widely. So it probably was someone who was an influential leader, but there's no name on it. So sometimes when there's a letter in the Bible, the person just signs their name. But in this case, we don't know. So we cannot definitively say who this is. Hey, Clayton. Yes. Who do you think wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, I'll tell you, it's not Paul. Um, So that's the one mistake that people make. They assume it's like Paul. Um, But if you read it in the Greek, you realize this person writes wildly different than Paul um, and uh, focuses on different things. And Paul wrote a lot of letters, and most of the things that distinguish Paul's letters, Hebrews didn't do. So it's unlikely to be Paul. Um, Other than that, we don't know. Uh, The names that get thrown out are things like Apollos and Priscilla and all sorts of people who, you know, they're basically just minor characters in the New Testament. They're like, wouldn't it be cool if we, and we just don't know. We just don't know who it is. So we don't know the author. Uh, We also don't really know the audience. Here's what we know from uh, reading it. We know that their situation is this. They are almost certainly primarily Jewish Christians. So they've come to faith in Jesus, but they come from a Jewish background because the the book really, really cares about things related to that. Um, And they're probably under some pressure, maybe not being uh, overtly like attacked or killed, But some people might be uh, under social pressure. Some people might have been thrown in prison where they are feeling the pressure to say, we've embraced Jesus, but now it's costing us. And so the thing that they seem to be facing is, should I keep going with Jesus or should I go back to what I've known before uh, as a Jewish believer, just continue on with Judaism or should I continue on with Jesus as part of this? And so the author of Hebrews is writing to say, Jesus is worth it. He's better than anything else. He's the fulfillment of all these things. And so that is why you find in Hebrews a whole lot of references to the Old Testament. And that's usually the thing that most of us find challenging about this. Lots of Old Testament quotations, lots of references. So you got to use the footnotes of your study Bible to help you make those connections. So we'll do that as we go along here. Um, We're going to have Eric read this starting in chapter 2, verse 5, going through verse 18. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, 
should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children of God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. All right. There's a lot there. Uh, it's probably a challenge when you are hearing it read. It may be helpful. I know some of you listening in the car or places where you don't have the Bible right in front of you. Uh, but if you've got a Bible pulling it out, this is a, a, a dense and complicated passage. So seeing it probably helps. But let's go on to the next step in comma, which is O, which stands for observations. This is where we take a look at what's going on and try to actually see the things that are there. Sometimes we try to jump to be like, what does it mean? What does it mean? But it helps to sometimes just notice what's there. That's what the observation step is for. So what do you guys see? Well, I think it's interesting that you said that about the passage being like complex, and so it's e- it might be easier to see it. Um, I needed to see it, and I actually had to read it out loud a couple of times because there was it, it, it was a very complex passage. So um, the one thing I thought was really interesting is I went to the NIV Study Bible as I was reading this, and I loved that in verses six through eight. Um, it basically, when it when it talks about how God made mankind a little lower than the angels, it refers to everybody as puny mortals. <laughs> Pu- puny mortals? Puny like mortals. In the, in the footnotes? In the footnotes oh of, the, of the study Bible, yeah. Um, so puny mortals. We are puny mortals. Um, the, the one thing that I really stood out to me, this is something striking, was uh, verse 9. Um, it says, but, but we do see Jesus... Uh, who is made a little lower than angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And I thought about that, and I think, um, by the grace of God, he will, so that we don't, right? Like, that's a that grace is an undeserved favor, and so Jesus took something that he was he, he did not deserve, we deserved it, um, but it was of God's grace for him to take that so that we didn't have to. And that, to me, was very striking to, to see that phrase, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. I'm sure everything you just said was wonderful, Nikki, but I was distracted when you said that the NIV study Bible referred to puny mortals in the study notes. So where did you find yeah. that? Because I'm looking for it and I can't see it. Yeah, it's, it's in the note for 2, 6 through 8. It says, awed by the marvelous order and immensity of God's handiwork in the celestial universe. Did I say that word right? Yeah. The psalmist marveled at the high dignity God had bestowed on puny mortals by entrusting them with dominion over the other creatures. It says puny in yours. What? 
So mine says mere mortals. Oh, mine. <laughs> That's so funny. So I use, I got the NIV Study Bible app on my phone. So the same thing. I wonder if there the was a revision. So I, maybe they read the puny one and it's like, it sounds like a supervillain in a, in a Well, in that's a what I thought about. Like, you, you puny mortals. Like, I heard that voice, yeah, when I read it, which is why it made me laugh and I wrote it down. So it's there in mine. <laughs> yeah. It, it, is a, it is a funny thing because even though puny mortals is a weird way to say it, it, is, it does seem to be part of what's going on there, that there's, there's a strange place that humans have been put in God's world that doesn't seem to fit kind of our makeup. Like, when it comes down to it, we're not that big or powerful, but God's put a lot of authority on humans, and it's kind of an astounding thought, and it's hard to make sense out of it, you know? So I think that's, that's part of what's going on there. Yeah, so two observations here for me. One is, because I'm looking at the text right now, it's easier to see... Old Testament quotations when they're being used when you're actually looking at the text instead of listening to it, because it's often just indented for you. So it gives you a visual clue that this is a quote coming from somewhere else. So we're seeing four different Old Testament quotes being used in what, we, what we're discussing today. My, my second observation is this whole order of the created universe. And, and what is being explained is Jesus, who is the creator God— is obviously of the highest order, and then you have angels, and then you have humans, and at some point Jesus became lower than the angels he created by becoming a human, and then it is also a little bit curious, as Clayton was just mentioning, that humans are lower than angels in the created order, yet it is the human beings that God gave all of authority to co-run his universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you actually go look up that first quote there, the what is uh, mankind that you are mindful of them, you'll, you'll see that's from Psalm 8. Um, the, the reality is there's so many quotes in here that you might not have the time to, to look them all up, but that one is worth it because Psalm 8's a, a curious psalm because it's it, essentially a song about Genesis 1 where it says, you know, let, let's make mankind in our image and give them dominion to rule over all of these creatures. And so it's like a, a song kind of written about kind of the marvel of that, and what it seems like the author of Hebrews is doing is saying, when the psalmist was wondering, look, you, you put a human being in charge of everything, that Jesus is like the perfect expression of that. Like, ultimately, where does a human being get put in charge of the whole world? It's when Jesus took the throne. So, like, Jesus, you get this motion. Jesus comes down, and he's lower than the angels, and yet somehow through what he does, a human being, Jesus, then gets exalted to a place higher than the angels. So, it's it's... It's almost like God comes down, grabs humanity, and pulls them up to a higher level than they, they initially would have been at naturally, because Jesus is now on the throne of the universe, co-ruling with God. So th- there's like a, a – it's bizarre. I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, I, I got to sit and think about this for a while. Okay, here's an observation, which it will come in the form of a question, and it's a bit philosophical in nature, and it may take us down a bad road, but <laughs> the text itself is complex, so I'll ask a, a complex question. So I am currently looking at verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And then he says, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. So he's saying, okay, so Jesus came and broke the the power that Satan has in the world, but he, he did this for humans, not for angels. 
Now, here is my observation and my question. So you have two categories of God's creation that have moral will. We can choose humans and angels, moral agents. Okay, we have the ability to choose. And in fact, we see in the scriptures that of all of God's angelic order, all the angels he created, there, there is a percentage of them who have chosen to rebel against God. Not unlike the fact that there are some humans that are loyal to God and some humans that rebel against God. But Jesus came for the humans. Is there ever going to be a rescue mission for the rebellious angels? <laughs> How about that one, Nikki? How about that one for taking us down a rabbit trail? Did you hear Clayton's laugh? It was like this. <laughs> like, I don't even want to answer it's that like, question. It's like 10 rabbit trails. That's the problem. <laughs> and, and if not, why not? Yeah. Oh, man. Hey, Clayton. (laughs) Hey, Clayton. How about that doozy of a question? (laughs) So um, let uh, let me give the big picture uh, principle of when you ask a question like this. It is really helpful to know the difference between the things that you have information about and the things that you can wonder about. And for certain personalities and certain certain groups of people, sometimes the temptation is to really fixate on the ones that you can wonder about rather than just letting them be wonders. So when Eric asks this question, I know he's thinking, we're not going to have an answer on this. But it's interesting to ask those kind of pondering things because maybe it leads to something. But if you uh, make your faith about all of those side questions, um, you will end up having a really warped kind of perspective. It will be on the wrong thing. So I'm just giving that warning for those of you who are inclined that way. Um, But in terms of this question, there is nothing in Scripture that gives us any indication that there is hope for angels being redeemed. So um, it's clear from passages like this that when Jesus came and paid for the price of, of somebody's sin, it was the price of humanity because Jesus was a human. He wasn't an angel. Um, and there's no indication that he ever incarnated as an angel or, or anything else, um, just humans. And that's a unique thing. Part of this is also realizing he doesn't have to do that for anybody. If he had not uh, showed up as a human and rescued us, no one could look at God and say, why didn't you do it? How dare you? You know, you should have saved them. So sometimes you might think, well, why wouldn't he do that for those angels that rebelled? Well, actually, God is totally just to say, you know what they deserve? Eternal punishment. And so that's what we know they're getting. That's what hell is. It's prepared for the devil and his angels, because that's an appropriate response to what they did. It would have been an appropriate response to us, but God graciously said, I'm going to do something different than just the basic response. I'm also going to provide a path for people to be rescued and saved. And so he did that. So we don't know what God's interactions with the angels are, but the one time that we've got, uh, you know, the one or two times where we've got things like uh, the angels hearing about the victory of Jesus, (laughs) it's always basically saying, for, to talk about your defeat to the, the evil uh, angels who have been defeated by Jesus' death and resurrection. Another observation for me is in verse 18, and I find this very reassuring. Mm-hmm. It says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. There, there are several places in the New Testament that talk about Jesus being tempted. And, I, and I, the reason it's reassuring to me is I think sometimes humans fall into the trap of thinking I should be strong enough that this is not a temptation. And then we put temptation in the category, the same category as sin. Temptation and sin are not the same thing, but we feel bad and ashamed of our temptation that we're even tempted at all 
when there should be no guilt or shame about temptation. Jesus himself was tempted. And we have uh, Jesus who can empathize with us in our temptation. He knows he knows what it's like to be tempted. Well, I even think the same thing is true when it comes up to the suffering side of it as well. Um, like all of us experience it. And there are times when we say, you know, why is this the case? Why uh, do I have to suffer like this? And I, I think it's also reassuring that Jesus being fully human, he also suffered. He didn't want to. Again, he had that same human reaction. I don't want to do this. But he did. And he overcame it through the Father. And I, that is also reassuring because we can have that same hope uh, and trust in, in God as well. Uh, one of the observations I have here is how often family language is used, especially in kind of the middle section of this. Uh, I see uh, in verse 10, he talks about bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Um, and there's a few other places, even some of the Old Testament quotes are say, I will declare uh, your name uh, to, to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. Um, there is this uh, repetition of Jesus claiming us as his family. That's part of what he's doing. He becomes human. So that he can then say, those who trust in me are brothers and sisters. They're like, we're in the same family. We're not like, I've bridged the categories here that I'm actually going to declare you my brother, my sister, which is kind of cool. Even the, even the image of declaring it in the assembly, right? Like you almost picture like this big group, you almost the angels, like you're thinking around, you know, everybody in heaven and Jesus is saying, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. Like there's something like really powerful about that image of Jesus saying, no, they're with me, like in their family. Um, and, and sometimes we use family of God language in church world so often that it becomes really casual to think of how shocking it is that Jesus would say, I'm truly the son of God, but I'm actually going to let you in on my status and call you a brother or call you a sister. Another observation I have is something I like, and that is in verse 15 where it says, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. And we no longer have to be afraid of dying because we know it's not the end. All right, I've got one other observation here, and it's in verse 10, where it talks about uh, God made it so that the pioneer of their salvation, that's Jesus, would be made perfect through what he suffered. Now, there's something a little odd about saying Jesus had to be made perfect, because we usually say Jesus is perfect, right? Like, So that language seems like, are you saying there was a time when he wasn't perfect? Like he had to kind of get... You know, he had to grow or be transformed or refined in order to be perfect. Um, that would not be uh, true of him in the sense of uh, we say, hey, we've got sin. We've got to work sin out so that one day we'll be free from, you know, behaving that way. Jesus didn't have to do that. He never sinned. Um, and yet there's something in that word perfect that we've got to understand because it comes up a few times in Hebrew. So you might run into this. Um, the word perfect there doesn't mean um, so he became flawless. What it means is that he got to the end of the goal. So there's a, maybe you've heard this word uh, in English even, the telos of something is the end of something. So talk about teleology or these sorts of things, if you've ever been in philosophy, it talks about things that have an end, a goal that they're being pointed at. And so the goal of Jesus was to, not just to show up, but to actually um, accomplish something and take on a status in the world that he had to go through suffering in order to do it. He had to go through the cross. He had to go through the resurrection. He had to go through death in order to reach the, the goal for which he came. And so it wasn't that he was flawed and then he got those flaws taken away. It's he had something to do and then he accomplished it finally. 
That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. Sharing is caring. At the end of every episode, we ask you to subscribe, rate, and review the Bible Savvy Podcast. That's good. But you know what might be better? Sharing. Like a particular episode? Share it with someone. You can share individual episodes from whatever platform you're listening on. Sharing is caring. And this has been your comma tip of the week. All right, let's go on to one of the M's in comma. You can do the M's in either order. The first one we're going to do today is message. Message is where you take something that you observed, some of the the things that you noticed, and you say, what principle can I get out of this? What kind of, you know, one sentence, two sentence principle can I get out of this that I can then apply to my life later? So you're going to try to distill it uh, into a sentence. So what message did you get out of this passage? So I'm picking up a message from uh, verse 18. It says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. My message is Jesus knows what you need. I'm going to use the same verse for my message. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. But my message is temptation is not sin. Sin is sin. All right, mine comes from the whole uh, repeated emphasis on Jesus becoming fully human. So I said this, Jesus was fully human so that we can be fully human. Uh, Part of what Jesus is doing is he is living the perfect human life when we haven't so that we can enter into the fullness of that life uh, through him. All right, let's go on to the second M in comma, which is meditation. So this is where we take a portion of the passage, we prayerfully ponder it, uh, we slow down enough to say, God, all right, what are you saying to me in this? And we listen to God's voice as we do that. So I'm going to take the verse that uh, Nikki and Eric uh, highlighted in their message, verse 18, and we're going to take about 45 seconds to ponder that. It says this, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. All right, let's talk about the A in comma, which is application. This is the part where we put it into action. We say, what will we do in our lives in response to the message that we found? So my message is Jesus knows what you need uh, based on that that passage we just meditated on. And my application um, is to use our prayer wall at, here at Christ Community. So we've got uh, – go to cccleft.org slash prayer – and people submit prayer requests there all the time. Um, as a congregation, as a staff, we pray for those regularly and, and lift up those prayer requests in faith and, and anticipation of God answering them. But we recently just prayed for a lot of people who are dealing with depression and anxiety and who are going through health procedures and loss and financial struggles, marriage struggles, all of these things. Um, and so I'm, I'm honing in on that that part of the passage where it's because he himself suffered— he is able to help those. Um, and if you have some sort of a need, you can bring that uh, before God in prayer, but you can also put it on our prayer wall, and it's going to get prayed for specifically. Um, so 
cclife.org slash prayer. Go to the prayer wall. My application is based on my message that temptation is not sin. Sin is sin. And I wonder how much better our lives would be if we were honest with people that, like our friends, people that we're close to, if we were honest about areas of temptation so that our friends could help us along in our walk with Christ. I think sometimes we're ashamed to say we're tempted by a certain thing. But what happens if you just say it out loud and say, this particular thing is tempting to me. Can you ask me? next week, how I'm doing with it. Those kinds of honest conversations, if we can put temptation in the right category, which is it's not sin, then I think we can have more honest and helpful conversations about places where we are in fact tempted. So my message uh, is that Jesus was fully human, so we can be fully human. And the in terms of application, it's more of an attitude than than a specific action. But there is something about looking at our human life that occasionally you will get this kind of attitude that says, well, I'm only human. And that's basically saying, well, I'm, I'm messed up, I'm broken, and this is all kind of screwed up. And, and sometimes we think, oh, I kind of have to get beyond being human, beyond being earthly. Well, it turns out the God of the universe himself became human and never ceased to be human. Jesus currently is a human. And so when this whole passage talks about he was crowned with glory and honor, it, first it talks about humanity being crowned with glory and honor in creation— and then Jesus being crowned with glory and honor after he rose from the dead. But then it says, and he brought many sons and daughters to glory. There is something glorious about being a, a human being fully alive and embracing the fact that human life is good. So there's kind of a posture towards the world that we should take that says, you know what? Things that are not sinful, that are just the good parts of human life, are something to be gloried in, something to, to, something to be treasured, something that actually uh, is beautiful. And going out into the world and taking our role as humans who are uh, ruling and stewarding, stewarding the world is a good and beautiful thing that Jesus is doing, and we will continue to do even into eternity. That's great. Well, thanks for listening this week, friends. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, go to BibleSavvy.com to download the plan and start reading today. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week. 